Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. The Peter Schiff Show. Well, this morning, the Federal Reserve Open Market Committee began its two-day meeting where they're supposedly discussing whether or not they're going to raise interest rates for the second time. We're going to get the official announcement of their decision on Wednesday. Now, I might be able to do another podcast later that day. I'm actually going to be in Las Vegas for a few days. So I'm recording this podcast from my studio. I might have to do an update from my hotel room if there's any kind of surprise. Most likely, it's not going to be by the announcement. I expect that they're not going to raise interest rates. But it's going to be the statement and the press conference that follows. That's typically where you can get some more market-related or market-moving information is when Janet Yellen not only reads her prepared remarks, but more importantly, when she answers questions off the cuff from reporters. But, you know, I said that they're supposedly going to be discussing whether or not they're going to raise rates. Now, of course, if they were going to raise rates, you would figure they would know it before the meeting started. But I don't think they're going to discuss whether or not they're going to raise rates. I think they know they're not going to raise rates. What they're going to discuss is the bind they're in. Because it's kind of almost like they're damned that they do and they're damned that they don't, credibility-wise, when it comes to rates. Because on the one hand, market expectations went way up for a while on a September rate hike based on Janet Yellen's statement at her speech that she made in uh, Jackson Hole, where she said the case for a rate hike had strengthened. And then later that day, when you had another Fed official say that there's nothing in Janet Yellen's statement, you know, her speech, that would rule out a rate hike in either September or December or both. Uh, and, and so based on that, all of a sudden, market expectations got ramped up. But of course, the Fed also claims to be data dependent. And the data over the last month 
has been lousy. I mean, even though the Fed hasn't gone out of their way to recognize how bad the data is, and I, I think that's because of political reasons, I'm sure President Obama is telling them not to peddle any fiction uh, before the votes are counted. But the data has been bad, and so the case for a rate hike has weakened. Although Janet Yellen herself has not uttered those words, you've had some other Fed officials come out and play lip service to that effect more recently because the market started to fall. And so the doves came flying to the rescue uh, to kind of save the market. But here is the, the, the conundrum, because if they don't raise rates, which I think is the more likely option, then, you know, well, you know, you cried wolf again, right? You talked about raising rates and you didn't do it. But if they do raise rates, then it's like, well, wait a minute. I thought you were data dependent. What are you doing raising rates when the data's gotten worse? You see, the reality is they should be raising rates regardless of the data because rates are too low. These low rates are creating a problem. And it doesn't matter whether the economy is weak or strong. Rates need to go up. In fact, I would argue that one of the main reasons that the economy is still so weak is because rates are still so low. Rates have to go up before we can have a real recovery. But of course, before we can have a real recovery, we have to prick this bubble and end the phony recovery. So to have real economic growth, we're going to have to have a crash first, right? It has to get worse before it can get better. If we want the gain, we have to endure the pain. But nobody wants pain, so we never get any gain. But if the Fed were to raise rates despite this data, well, then it looks like they're not really data dependent. But if they don't raise rates without acknowledging the fact that the data is weak, because they really have to talk about how the economy is weakening to be able to say it's the data that caused us not to raise rates. If they just don't raise rates, but they continue to pretend that the economy is fine and continue to talk about the possibility of future rate hikes, then again, they lose more credibility. And that is what I think they're more likely to do. I mean, why would they want to take a chance on raising rates on Wednesday, knowing, A, how weak the data is, and B, knowing that it's possible that the markets could tank as a result of that hike. That's the last thing they want, because then what are they going to do? How are they going to reverse the decline? Cut rates, you know, take it away, or now start talking about how weak the economy is as we get closer and closer to the election? So clearly the Fed wants to punt again uh, and delay this supposed decision until December. But even just punting to December still means that they barked again, but they didn't bite. So they're, that's what they're talking about is how do we you know, thread this needle? How do we say the perfect statement? How can we pick our words so that we can still pretend that recovery is on track and everything is great and the economy is great, yet still justify not raising interest rates and say that we're data dependent. We want to keep the prospect of a rate hike alive for December. But, you know, I think that's even a dangerous strategy because I think if the Fed is successful in just saying, look, we're not going in September, but we're probably going to go in December, I don't think the market's going to like that because I don't think just a couple of months is going to do it, right? If the markets are really convinced that the only reason the Fed is not hiking is because of the election and that once the election is over, the hikes are going to start and it's not just going to be a quarter point hike in December, but the Fed is going to start hiking rates more in 2017, the markets are going to tank. So I think 
what the Fed really has to do, and we'll see if I'm right, is not only not raise rates in September, but reduce the expectation for a rate hike in December, all without undercutting the narrative of economic recovery, yet claim to be data dependent. We'll see if they go that route. I mean, if they actually raised interest rates in September, and even the markets, the markets are having maybe a 20% probability that they're going to hike rates uh, on Wednesday. But if they did that, that would have to be the dovest hike ever. I mean, they would have to hike rates, and they would have to pretty much say to everybody, oh, this is the last hike. I mean, we're finished hiking. They would, they would have to take all future rate hikes off the books to take the sting out of that hike. But I think either way, I, you know, I think this is a dollar-negative event. I think this is a gold-friendly event. Remember, the last time the Federal Reserve raised interest rates, everybody thought that was it. Gold would tank. And instead, it marked the bottom. We had a huge rally. People thought the dollar would rise. Instead, it went the other way. And so I think the markets would react to the next rate hike pretty much the same way. And again, I think more and more traders are looking beyond the hikes to the cuts, realizing that any rate hikes are merely a prelude to a rate cut. And the only reason the Fed is hiking rates is so that they can cut them. And so it doesn't even matter if they raise rates because they're not going to stay high for long. They're going to go down. You know, another data point that just came out that made people think that the Fed was closer to a rate hike was the CPI data that came out on Friday, right? Because that's the other thing that supposedly is going to cause the Fed to raise rates is higher inflation. And supposedly the Fed wants higher inflation. You know, they really want it because they think it's a good thing. They think it's a sign that their policies are working and the economy is growing. And then they'd be able to raise rates, which is what they want to do. But darn it, inflation just remains stubbornly low. And so therefore, they can't do what they really want to do. They really want to raise rates, but they have to wait for higher inflation. And they're just hoping for higher inflation because that'll, that'll enable them to raise rates. Right? This is actually the nightmare scenario for the Fed. The last thing the Fed wants is higher inflation. In fact, even if inflation is higher, the Fed hopes the government covers it up with their phony CPI numbers, because all this supposed low inflation does is provide cover for the Fed not to raise rates. The last thing they want to do is raise rates. And if inflation goes up, it creates a problem for the Fed because it's another one of these credibility things where there's higher inflation that they still don't raise rates. It doesn't really matter. The markets still haven't figured this out, that 2% inflation is like 6.5% unemployment. Remember that goalpost? Oh, if unemployment gets below 6.5%, we're going to hike rates. I said, no, they won't. They're going to move that goalpost. And they kept moving it, moving it, moving it. And, you know, unemployment got to below 5%. And then we finally got one hike. But the same thing is going to happen with inflation. 2%, 25 3 3.5%, 4%, does not matter. But the last thing the Fed wants is higher inflation because it puts them in that credibility box. So they're not hoping for high inflation. They're hoping for low inflation so they can justify not raising interest rates. And of course, these articles that talk about how rising inflation is a positive thing because it's one of the Fed's goals, they're buying into all this Keynesian nonsense. It is not a positive thing, and it's not really the Fed's goal. It's the Fed's excuse. But the government, yeah, the government wants inflation, but not because it's good for the economy, but because it's good for them as a debtor. And it's good for helping to inflate asset bubbles. There's no economic good that comes from inflation. That's why the economy is so weak. The economy can't grow. 
because the Fed is creating all this inflation. The economy can't grow because there's no savings. And because there's no savings, there's no capital investment. Because there's no capital investment, we have no increasing worker productivity. Our workers don't have uh, better tools. In fact, if you look at our plant and equipment, it's the oldest it's been, I don't know, 60, 70 years or more. I mean, our workers can't compete because their employers aren't investing in improving uh, their capital equipment, their plant and equipment and their technology. And why not? Because there's no money for that. The only money there is is the money that is created out of thin air by the Fed, and that doesn't go into the real economy. That just pushes up bond prices, pushes up stock prices. Companies borrow cheap from the Fed, and they use the money to buy back bonds. In fact, you have companies now, you know, they're, they're basically in the business of selling bonds so they can buy back stock. They, don't, they can't use that money uh, for capital investment. So we're trapped in this stagflationary environment, and nobody other than Alan Greenspan, who's the only one now who's acknowledging it. And I guess the policy must be so bad for that pot to call this kettle black, right? You got Alan Greenspan, the guy who wrote this playbook, now calling out uh, the other Fed chairman for following it. So this is what's going on. And the Fed has no way out of this box. That's why, you know, that's why I call this thing a monetary roach motel from day one. And I'm going to get, there was an article that just came out yesterday. I'm going to get to that. But I want to finish this story about the CPI because the CPI came out higher than expected. Core inflation was up 0.2% in August. But more importantly, the year-over-year rate was 2.4. And this was the 10th time in a row that the year-over-year core rate had risen above the 2% target. And if you look at the year-over-year core, this month, this is the biggest increase in core CPI in eight years. So you're going back to just before the financial crisis, the Lehman collapse, eight years, the fastest increase. And in fact, if you look at the components, healthcare prices had their biggest jump in better than 35 years. Yeah, President Obama is taking credit for Obamacare. You have the biggest month, monthly year-over-year increase in medical costs in over 35 years. And insurance was up even more than overall medical costs. And the other big increase was in rents. Yeah, that's great news. Your rents are going up and your healthcare costs are going up. Why should we be celebrating that? This is a big jump in in prices. And, you know, the only thing that's keeping the headline number down is the strong dollar. Uh, but that's rapidly going to come a thing of the past when people realize that the Fed can't deliver all the rate hikes that the market was expecting. And so once the dollar starts to go down and you get energy prices going up again, you get food prices going up again, you get other import prices going up again, these coarse prices, which are not imported, Right. The core prices are not affected so much by the exchange rate, but the momentum is already there in the core. So once the headline starts to go up, we're off to the races. I mean, we're just going to be blowing through that two percent goalpost, although we're already well above it on the core. And I remember that the Fed used to only pay attention to the core when it was low. If you remember the days when the the headline CPI was high, they would say, well, you know, who cares about the headline because, you know, we're going to strip out food and energy and we're just going to look at the core. And as long as the core was low, they weren't worried about the headline. Well, now it's the reverse. Now the headline is low and the core is high. And they're like, well, you know, let's just look at the headline number. We don't want to pay too much attention to that core. That core number is above their target for 10 months in a row. Again, it's heads I win, tails you lose. 
when they when the headline is low, they point to that. And when the core is low, they point to that. They always ignore the high number because they don't want to acknowledge the inflationary threat because they don't want to raise interest rates and they don't want to admit that they can't raise interest rates. So they always have to pretend that there's no inflation. But the markets still pretend to believe them because the dollar had this huge rally on Friday. And the only catalyst for that rally was the higher than expected inflation number. But, you know, higher inflation is only good for the dollar. And that's kind of like a paradox because inflation, by definition, is the dollar losing value. So if the dollar is losing value, why do so many people want to buy it? I mean, why would you want to rush to buy a a currency when you just found out that it's losing value faster than you thought? The reason that higher inflation is good for a currency is because currency traders believe that the central bank will be forced to fight that higher inflation by raising interest rates. So it's the higher interest rates that is supporting the currency, in this case, the dollar. But when traders realize that the Fed is all, you know, bark and no bite on fighting inflation, that it might talk about it, but it's not going to do it. Eventually, these higher inflation numbers are going to be negative for the dollar because it's going to let people know how much value they're losing by holding the dollar. And they're going to realize that the Federal Reserve is not going to put this fire out. That if anything, it's going to keep on, you know, throwing gasoline on it. So at some point, high inflation numbers are going to be bad for the dollar. And that's when you know that the Fed has lost all of its credibility. Right now, it still has it for some reason. People see these high inflation numbers and react because they think it's going to move the Fed. When they realize it doesn't matter, the Fed's never raising interest rates, no matter how high inflation is, then high inflation will be correctly interpreted by the currency markets as being negative for the dollar, not positive. Now, we got this article yesterday that came out in the Washington Post, and the title is The Federal Reserve Confronts a Possibility It Never Expected, No Exit. And the article goes in and and talks about how it may not be possible for the Fed to engineer an exit from its monetary policy, that they may be stuck down here. And even quotes from Janet Yellen herself about the difficulty in, uh, in, in reversing course. And she actually is quoted as saying, oh, no, this is a former, this is Ben Bernanke's quote, rather. He said, maybe this is one of those cases where you can't go home again. You know, meaning you can't take interest rates back up. And of course, Ben Bernanke was so confident that everything was going to end up great and that the balance sheet could be, uh, you know, unwound and that interest rates could be normalized. And of course, he left that impossible feat to Janet Yellen to perform. But now he's saying, well, you know, maybe we can't go home again. Well, we can't. There's there's no home to go back to at this point. I mean, you burned that down. But the whole idea that the Fed never expected that it could exit this. In fact, they the article talks about how Janet Yellen laid out this strategy in 2014 for the way the Fed was going to exit. And now the article is pointing out that, OK, so far, none of it is going the way the Fed planned because they really haven't been able to do anything that they thought they were going to do or anything that they laid out in 2014. And so now they're just confronted with a possibility that this policy may be permanent, uh, that it may be, you know, zero percent forever. And it's just like a, you know, perpetual uh, a policy. And they're just now, you know, trying to deal with that because, you know, this is out of left field. They didn't expect it. They didn't know it was even possible. Well, if they had just listened to me, 
if they had just, you know, listened to this podcast or, you know, paid attention to anything I said or anything I wrote, I remember when the Fed first went down to 0% in 2009. That's the year I started saying the Fed checked us into a monetary roach motel. And obviously the reference there is to the commercial for the Roach Motel, right? Roaches check in, but they don't check out. Well, I knew that that was going to happen with the Fed. I said, you check us in to 0% interest rates and you can't check us out. Because I said at the time, if they do this and they created an economy that's dependent on this cheap money, good luck ending it. Right. And I talked about, you know, like a, a drug addict say, yeah, I'm just going to start using some drugs and I'm going to become a huge addict and then I'm just going to stop taking drugs. You know, if it were that easy, there would be no rehabilitation centers. You can't just easily go on a drug habit and then just decide one day that you're not going to do it. I mean, if you could do that, what about with cigarettes? We think they'd have, you know, nicotine gum. I mean, how hard is it for people to quit smoking cigarettes? Right. It's not easy. But the Fed assumed, oh, yeah, we're just going to basically take on like, you know, we're going to smoke four or five packs a day for, you know, a few years. And then we're just going to stop. No problem. We just, you know, go cold turkey. We won't smoke any cigarettes. Yeah, right. It doesn't work that way. So I knew from the beginning. So to say, hey, they're confronted now by this possibility they never expected. How could they not have expected it? Could they be that stupid? Did they really think that they could jack this economy up? with interest rates this low. In fact, I believe that they must have known it. Otherwise, why did they leave rates so low for so long? Why did they do three rounds of QE? Why has the Fed rolled over every single bond that has ever matured? Why has the Fed reinvested every nickel they've earned in interest on their treasuries in more treasuries? Because they, they know they can't. This balance sheet can never be unwound. Interest rates can never be normalized. They're not just discovering this. They had to know it the whole time. That's why they've been talking and talking and talking and not doing. And laying out the plan in 2014 for normalization was all part of the bluff. And I said it at the time. Go back to my podcast from 2014 when Yellen came out with this nonsense, the minute she said it, I said, this is crazy. None of this is going to happen. She can't do any of this. None of this is actually going to be, you know, going to be implemented. It's all just talk. And I said at the time, they have to go through the motions. They have to actually pretend that this plan is there, that they can actually implement it. It was all part of the ruse and the market was eating it up. Every time they would talk about that, the dollar would go up, gold would go down. And I kept saying, why is this happening? The Fed has not actually done anything. All they're doing is talking. I said, you know, it was like an airline pilot trying to take credit for a successful flight and the plane's still in the air. And I said, to make matters worse, that pilot doesn't even know how to land. You know, maybe he went to one of these terrorist schools where you just learn how to take off and you don't bother to learn how to land because your plan is to crash the plane into a building. Well, if you're one of those kind of pilots and you're up in the air and you don't even know how to land, yet you convince all the passengers that this is a great successful flight and that, you know, you, but you can't land it. Now, of course, if you don't know how to land a plane, you don't want to tell that to the passengers because then there's going to be a panic. So you're just going to have to pretend 
that that you know how to land the plane while you're trying to, you know, maybe, you know, look at some manuals or something, try to figure it out. But of course, the problem is eventually you're going to run out of fuel and then everyone's going to find out that you don't know how to land the plane because the plane's going to crash. And that's ultimately what's going to happen with, you know, this plane of the U.S. economy running out of fuel basically means we, we the Fed runs out of credibility and the dollar tanks and this whole party ends because the whole thing keeping it in float keeping the dollar bubble inflated, keeping the bond bubble inflated, is the false belief that all these policies are temporary and they're all going to end. And part of that was this nonsense, normalization principles and plans, whatever she came up with a couple of years ago, that's all in the script you know, of pretending. But the problem is eventually you get to the point where you can't pretend anymore. I mean, you've been bluffing, you've been bluffing. I mean, that's why they backed themselves into that corner December last year, they they reluctantly raised interest rates a quarter, and that bought them a little time, right? Because they they finally did something, but now they had to back off, and you know now it's getting longer and longer, and now the economic data is getting so bad that I mean the, the economy is as weak as it's been during the of the entire recovery, assuming the recovery hasn't already ended, and of course I don't even think it ever began because it's not a real recovery. I mean there there is no precedent for a recovery like this. I mean, they, they say it's the weakest recovery ever. But, I mean, it's so weak, it's weaker than most. This recovery is weaker than most recessions. I mean, when it comes to the average, the average American, I mean, the average American is worse off, has done worse during this recovery than they did during the recession that we're recovering, right? So with recoveries like this, who needs recessions? And what I tell people is if you think this recovery is bad, Wait till you get a load of the recession that's following it, because this one is going to be horrific. This one is going to be worse than the Great Recession of 2008. And I think some FOMC members know that. That's why they haven't even tried to normalize policy or, or you know, shrink their balance sheet or normalize rates. And that's what these guys are going to be talking about in this meeting. But, of course, none of these minutes will be released. We won't know. Uh, these things. I mean, it's going to be very scripted what we get to hear, and they're going to try to paint the rosiest picture possible of the economy without actually raising rates. Because if they say the economy is too good, well, then why aren't you raising rates? Because you're data dependent. So they have to thread that needle. They've been doing it, but they are going to run out of credibility. But the media still takes these guys seriously. You know, but I would love to have this reporter maybe contact me or say, yeah, well, why didn't the Federal Reserve, if you really believe that they never thought that there, this was possible, why didn't they listen to some of the people like me who were saying not only was it possible, it was probable that this was going to happen? I mean, that's why. Why do you think I kept talking about all these QEs, you know, more QEs than Rocky movies? Why was I saying that? Because I knew that once they did it once, they were committed. They could never stop. Right again, it's like, I'm just going to do drugs once. I won't do it again. I'm going to do it one time. Right? Yeah, you're going to keep doing it. The more you do it, the more you need it. And then the more you do, the, the bigger your addiction. And now you need even more because you get a tolerance. And that's why they keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. But then the problem is we keep doing more and more damage. And the more you do QE, the worse the economy gets, which means the more you need it. I kept saying it's like putting out a fire with gasoline. And every time you pour the gasoline on, the fire gets bigger, and so now next time you need even more gasoline because now you're trying to put out an even bigger fire. And then you pour all that extra gasoline on the bigger fire, and you guess what? Now the fire is even bigger. So now we need even more gasoline. See, I knew that. Apparently, the Federal Reserve didn't know that. They didn't know that gasoline does, you know, makes a fire bigger you know, instead of makes it goes out. So 
That, that is the reality. The question is, when is everybody going to figure it out? And I think the Fed will probably be able to squeak through not raising rates in November. But it ain't going to do it in December. Because when we get to December, and if we don't have another rate hike in December, the election is over, no rate hike, the economic data will be pretty bad by then. I mean, that's it. And of course, if they do raise rates in December and the economy is really weak, then everything's going to collapse. And you know what they're worried about, too? Not even the, the stock market is their biggest worry. It's the bond market. I mean, this bond market has got, you know, they're really scared of the bond market going down. That is the 800-pound gorilla in the room. And, you know, I was at the Money Show in Toronto a couple days ago. And while I was there, there, you know, I, I listened to some of the other speakers. And in the opening ceremonies, you had Steve Moore from the Wall Street Journal was on. And he was talking about, he's kind of like, I don't know if he's a semi-advisor to uh, Donald Trump. But he was talking about conversations we had with Trump about the debt and how, you know, we, we really want to refinance the national debt because interest rates are really low and we have all this short-term debt and this is foolish. I mean, why are we selling all this short-term debt when interest rates are really low? We should be locking in these long-term rates. And he was talking about, hey, we need to refinance government debt. We need to take all these T-bills and sell 30-year government bonds or 50-year government bonds and, you know, just, you know, lock in these really, really low rates and, and that would be a great thing to do. I mean, it's like, you know, it's like a homeowner. Why wouldn't you want to have a lock in a fixed rate when rates are so low? Why are you staying in an arm and subjecting yourself to an increase in interest rates? Steve Moore said that he and you know, Donald Trump understands the risk of higher interest rates. And that's why we should do what we can now to restructure the debt to, to, to have all long term bonds. And I, I pointed out to Steve Moore after, after his talk and I mentioned it in mine that I said, yeah, that's all great, but it's impossible to do. I said to Steve that the main reason or one of the main reasons that long-term interest rates are still so low is because the federal government is not issuing any long-term debt. That's why rates are so low. And in fact, thanks to Operation Twist, remember that one I was calling it Operation Screw, and we are, right? Because of Operation Screw, the Federal Reserve now owns all these long-term bonds. And so the market has all the short-term bonds because the market is not dumb enough Nobody is dumb enough to buy a 30-year treasury at 2% or a 10-year treasury at less than 1.5%. Nobody would do that except a central bank, right, or except somebody speculating, hoping to flip it to a central bank. But there is no real investor demand for long-term negative-yielding U.S. treasuries because the yields are negative when you adjust them for inflation, even though they're nominally positive. They're negative. So who's going to want to have negative returns for the next 20, 30, 50 years, according to uh, Steve Morton? Nobody. And if the Federal, if the government actually tried to sell a bunch of long-term bonds, long-term interest rates would spike. And then what would happen? The market would crash. The stock market, the bond market, banks would fail. We'd be in another financial crisis. The government would have to default on its debt. So, hey, it's great, but it's impossible. There's no way to refinance long term. So all they can do is keep the debt short term and hope that the crisis doesn't happen tomorrow. Because the minute interest rates spike, we're screwed, right? That's why it was Operation Screw. But the Fe and the Federal Reserve, because they own all this long term debt, when interest rates spike, the value of that debt collapses. And now the Federal Reserve is in a bind because it has no way of selling its collateral, which means it has no way 
of fighting inflation. It can't shrink its balance sheet. It can't drain liquidity if it has no assets that it can sell. Because if it sells these long-term treasuries at low rates into a market where rates has risen, the Federal Reserve is going to wipe out its capital. And the Federal Reserve is going to have to send an enormous bill to the U.S. government to bail it out. And how is the government going to bail out the Fed? And it's going to be an enormous bailout. And it would expose the fallacy of this whole system. So we are just, you know, one big interest rate spike away from catastrophe. And so all the Fed can do is try to hold, you know, the wolves at bay. Right now, the goal is to get through the next presidential election. And probably they'll keep the wheels on the bus until then. But can they make it through another four-year cycle? I don't think so. I, I think it's going to be hard just to make it to the next two years, the midterms, without having the whole thing fall apart. So we are getting closer and closer uh, to the end game here. And people need to be people need to be prepared. People need to get their portfolios prepared. Uh, they need to be protected because time is rapidly running out. All the warning signs are there. All you have to do is is pay attention. Hey, one last thing I want to mention. And this is, you know, one of these, uh, you know, cases of chutzpah. And everybody knows uh, chutzpah, the, and I guess the classic way people describe chutzpah is if a man murders his parents, and then when he's on trial, he asks for mercy on the grounds that, that he's an orphan, right? So that's chutzpah. Well, another example is the U.S. government fining Deutsche Bank $14 billion for it's bad mortgages that were issued or underwritten during the, the 2008 financial crisis. I mean, the government has no right to fine private banks for the mortgage activity when they were the instigators of all that. I mean, first of all, we wouldn't have had a housing bubble if it wasn't for the Federal Reserve. So if you're going to find anybody, find the Fed. But it's like the Federal Reserve got all these banks drunk, right? Liquored them all up and go, all right, so some of them did stupid things. Some of them might have gotten into accidents because the Fed got them so drunk. But whose fault is that? The Fed, in fact, the Fed was force feeding this alcohol, you know, down their throats. And everybody was, was taking part in this. And so there would have been no housing bubble had it not been for the Fed. And then you had the government subsidizing the market with uh, the, you know, the, the GSEs, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, the FHA. You had governments pressuring banks, pressuring them to make loans to low-income borrowers, to minority borrowers, to look the other way when the credit was bad, when they had no down payments. I mean, the government was cheerleading this housing bubble. It was encouraging all these bad loans, and it was reveling in it while it was happening. They were taking credit for this. Everybody felt great. Everybody owned a home. Everybody was getting rich. Nobody had to work. It was a dream economy, and all the politicians loved it, and they were taking credit for it. And as soon as it ended, oh, let's vilify all the banks. Let's find the banks. $14 billion fine. First of all, better than finding the banks, how about just not bailing them out, right? I mean, I was, I was, I was not for bailing the banks out in the first place. So that would have been a better fine. Let them fail. But now coming back year, years later with these trumped-up fines as if the government did nothing wrong and Deutsche Bank is the villain here. And if it wasn't for Deutsche Bank or other banks, none of this would have happened. It was all guaranteed to happen based on the Fed and based on the actions of the U.S. government. We're the ones that started this party. 
We're the ones that invited everybody. We're the guys that brought all the, the alcohol and brought all the hookers and made sure that everybody had a good time. And okay, so things got out of hand. And now, you know, we want to blame it on this bank. But also, ironically, you know, not too long ago, you had the, the Europeans fining Apple 13 billion euros, right? And 13 billion euros is about $14 billion. So I don't know if that's kind of tit for tat, if that's kind of the U.S. government trying to counterpunch uh, where the European Union is saying, well, we're going to fine your company uh, $14 billion for something. And now, oh, we're going to find Deutsche Bank, which, by the way, has made new lows. I mean, look at a chart. I've talked about Deutsche Bank. I mean, we are so far below the Lehman crisis lows. Uh, so this is, you know, just like really kicking a a bank when it's down. I mean, they got a lot of problems and it's not, again, not just Deutsche Bank. All these financials are in trouble. And I mentioned that in the last podcast because there are people who think that high interest rates are going to be good for financials. High interest rates are going to crush these financials. The problem is low interest rates are going to crush them too. It's just that high interest rates are going to crush them faster. So there's no way out for these stocks. That's why I don't own them. And I think there's as much risk now in the financials as there was leading up to the OA financial crisis. And you remember how many people were so bullish on these stocks. Go back and watch the Peter Schiff was right video because there's so many people there talking about how great the financials are. And I'm saying these companies are toxic. Stay away from them. They're going to crash. They're their earnings are an illusion. I knew the problems that the financials had then. They were very real, and everybody was oblivious, including the people who worked in them. Because most of these banks, these big banks, their analysts had buy recommendations on other banks. Couldn't they figure it out? They were working in these banks. They didn't even realize how bad the industry was or their, or their own firm. So now you've got the same willful blindness again going on. These banks are in worse shape. Because we have so much more debt now, the economies are that much more fragile, and people who think, oh, well, if only rates go back up, that's going to be great for banks. That is the worst thing that could happen to these banks. But, of course, not raising rates is also bad. It's just that raising them is even worse. Today's financial advisors behave like pro-wrestling TV commentators. They scream that the recovery is strong, debt is manageable, inflation is low, and that the Federal Reserve has everything under control. They may be oblivious, but the danger is real. Looking beyond the media hype can open a world of broader investing ideas. Euro-Pacific Capital is a registered investment advisor that offers stock-focused wealth management services that closely follow the strategy of our founder and CEO, Peter Schiff. We concentrate on those countries that are more closely in tune with Peter's vision of how capitalism is supposed to work. And these investments are not hard to find, provided you know where to look. Isn't it time you change the channel and let Euro-Pacific put a little reality back into your portfolio? If you live in the United States and have $25,000 or more to invest, call 800-727-7922. That's 800-727-7922. Non-U.S. residents access similar strategies through Euro-Pacific Bank at europacbank.com. Euro-Pacific Capital and Euro-Pacific Bank are affiliated companies. Hi, this is Peter Schiff, and long before foreign governments were buying gold, I urged my clients to put 5 to 10% of their portfolios into physical precious metals. Despite gold's massive rise over the last decade, I still think that a 5 to 10% allocation to gold and silver is a smart investment decision. But buyers have to beware. Big TV gold dealers push all sorts of coins that are poor investments. Bait-and-switch deals, price protection guarantees, leveraged gold accounts. These are just a few of the sleazy tactics used to swindle inexperienced gold buyers. My gold company is different. 
We never offer a coin or bar unless I consider it to be a good investment. I want my customers to be educated. That's why I'm offering you a free research report exposing the biggest scams and ripoffs in the industry. Download my report, Classic Gold Scams, and how to avoid getting ripped off for free at goldscams.com. This report tells you everything you need to know about how to avoid losing thousands of dollars with scam gold dealers. It even tells you how to tell if a salesman is lying to you on the phone. This is a must-read for anyone considering a gold or silver investment. Download this free report today at goldscams.com. That's goldscams.com.